everybody, welcome to Roll Hunting Resources Podcast. All right, uh, <clears throat> it is Sunday, May 8th in the evening. Again, here we are. I see a consistent pattern. It's 10 o'clock. No, no it's not. Let's be honest, it's 10 <clears throat> 10.20 in the evening. Um, man, as always, about a million different rabbit holes we could go down as far as the discussion today. The first one we're going to tackle is what you're hearing now. <clears throat> My voice is absolutely shot. <clears throat> I don't know if it's going to make it. We're going to we're going to go as as long as my voice is going to hold. Um, <clears throat> this was unexpected. But I kind of brought it on my I, I well. It's a symptom of of what I've talked about in the past and then uh, some of what I've brought on myself. So <clears throat> those of you who've listened to me for a while now know that I got the vid when back in the early days when it first hit the shores of the United States and man I got the typical cough, the loss of smell, the fatigue, blah 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 blah, all that was you know standard. <clears throat> but everything else largely you know in, in many respects came back. I mean I still don't have as good a smell as I used to have and <clears throat> but man, I still have this stupid pers- persistent persistent cough from time to time. Um, <clears throat> I'm just on a pro- prophylactic uh, dose of uh, ivermectin, and <clears throat> that use that seems to help. Uh, but there, every now and then, it just seems like I get in these bouts. I don't know if it's weather related. I haven't re- I haven't really spent time looking at that. Maybe it's humidity <clears throat> related. But anyway. Um, I just started getting into this pattern these, these past week, this past week of just, especially at night um, when I lay down and go to bed, <clears throat> I start coughing and it's just relentless. So that just irritates my throat and vocal cords and everything else, the, the entire bronchial chain there. <clears throat> Man, it's even worse now that I'm trying to sit here and talk. Um, but then it doesn't help when... Uh, Anybody who has dogs knows. It's just like your kids. You know, you, you train your, your animals. You, you have, you have well-disciplined kids. And, you know, you're, you're proud of your kids. You're proud of your animals. <clears throat> but every now and then, they're still a kid. They're still a dog. And I've got two dogs that are just wildly different. I've got one that he's more polite than he needs to be. And, and it becomes maddening sometimes when, you know... Anyway, I don't need to dive, I don't need to dive into him, but I, we we picked up the puppy, you know, a couple years back, <clears throat> and she's like night and day different than him. She's your quintessential dog, to the point where she feels the need to roll in every stinky substance that she encounters in the world, and it, I've. It's like barking, and, and that's going to come up in a, in a later discussion. <clears throat> you know, you you if you're tend, you're attentive to your kids, if you're attentive to your dogs, your animals, you you can pick up their behaviors, you can pick up their personalities, you can, you can see things that are about to happen before they happen. You can you watch their behavior, you're like, all right, they're about to get themselves in trouble. And and if you're on top of it, you can you can intervene and discipline them. And be like, hey, no, don't do that. And so I've got her, uh, Maggie is who I'm talking about. We call her Moops because 
well, it doesn't matter. Everybody has your pets. Everybody has a progression of of uh, their pets' nicknames, and so hers is Moops. Um, <laughs> and if you ever meet Maggie, you'll you'll understand why Moops just she's just Moops. That's that's who she is. And so anyway. I've got her to the point where she doesn't roll as much as she wants to or used to you know wanted to <clears throat> um but she finds fox poop absolutely irresistible like can't help herself she'll look me dead in the eye and then just pitch yourself and roll and the other day so we've got hat i don't know if we still have again this is going to be a, a topic for later <clears throat> there was a family of foxes near our horse property and of course they use the whole area and, and <clears throat> so at night they're coming through our pasture and, and every now and then the fox craps in places or he'll bring a you know one of his kills into the pasture and you know Part of it will be there rotting and nasty and she'll want to roll in it and just get herself slimed up with nastiness just as pretty as you please. But the other day, so she's done it twice now this past week. And the first time was just nasty. And I I was able to get, and the first time it was like, it was weird. It was kind of like this dry stuff. I don't know what she rolled in, but it was dry. So when she kept, so I saw her rolling, I'm like, and I yelled. Because it's a three and a half acre pasture, and she's across the pasture. It's windy. I've she's got the electron. I've got an electronic collar on her and Jet. But every time we go walking, it's an, it's an insurance policy, and it's always set in vibrate tone. You know, so it's just a little beep in their ear or a little bzz, uh, you know a little vibration in their neck. <clears throat> well, that's in my pockets, and I look up and I can see she's like. Oh my gosh, this is the greatest. And before I could, I was like, no, you know, I was like slow motion. I'm like, and I just yelled at the top of my lungs across the pasture to, to get her stop. Well, she, she pitched down, she hits, and then she, you know, jumps back up and runs back over to me. Whatever she rolled in was kind of like dry. So I was able to brush it off and it, and it, you know, she didn't stink. And I was like, all right, caught a break. So I thought, okay, you know, it's it's like once a month, once every other month that this happens. So I'm like, all right, cool. We, we got that out of our system. <clears throat> well, again, I've been coughing like crazy at night. I already yelled across the pasture at her the other day. <sighs> the other day, like two days ago. Same thing. It's windy. <clears throat> She's across the pasture. Same exact thing. I'm like, where are the dogs? Cause no, they'll. I'm feeding the horses, and they're and they're out tripping around. They're they're doing their pee mail. You know, they got to check all their pee mail out there. <clears throat> and so, I see Jep tripping around, but I don't see Maggie. Just like anybody with kids knows, if all of a sudden in your house it goes quiet, or if your if your kids are out playing somewhere and you know the two kids are playing or three kids are playing, and then all of a sudden you just see one of them. And the other one is just gone. Any parent knows is like, okay, that's a red flag. Okay, doesn't necessarily mean it's danger. It just means somebody's getting in trouble. That's probably what it is. Someone's getting into something that they shouldn't be getting into, and they're getting in trouble. <clears throat> sure enough, I look up, and Maggie is just in ecstasy 
inverted. I was inverted. She's on her back, legs up just full on in the air, and she is grinding to China. And I just launch. I'm like, bye! And I just yell, just... I did something to my vocal cords. <laughs> I blew up my vocal cords. Oh, it was unintended. I, I I knew it was loud. I was so of course, yeah. She jumps up here. She comes running. Just ugh. Uh, anyway. <clears throat> so I yelled at her, stressed my vocal cords, and then my other dog. I again, I don't know what it is this spring, but I mean. You know, some of it. I, we we completed the fence around our yard, and so the dogs can't lay where they used to lay. They used to lay out in the the driveway. They used to lay on the fringe edges of our property. <clears throat> Hell, Jep, every now and then I'd find him laying in the road, just sleeping, just so he could see everything. I have to yell at him to bring him in. Well, <clears throat> because of other shenanigans going on in town, we decided to, to fence the yard three sixty. So every all our you know the cats and the dogs every everybody stays in the yard, <clears throat> and for some reason Jeb has taken it upon himself now he has to dig himself a new bed, like every day. I like he hasn't he's never done this. No, I can't say he's never done this. He very rarely would dig. He would dig like one hole, and he'd get scolded. We'd fill it back in, and then he'd kind of like lay in the half-filled-in excavation of, of his, you know, previous efforts. <clears throat> All of a sudden now, I mean, we're getting the garden boxes, we're getting the garden going, so, we, you know, Kelly's out there tilling the, you know, the garden boxes, getting all the garden beds in the garden soil all ready to go, and she's planting stuff. And I mean, one day he'll, he'll have just this massive foxhole excavate. I mean, literally, it could be a fighting position. I mean, this is, this, this, it would be, <clears throat> any drill instructor would be proud of the, the hole that he excavates in our garden boxes. I mean, like he can lay in there and not be seen. You know, he could periscope his nose above the edge and just sift out the scent and figure out if it's safe outside. <clears throat> it's, it's ridiculous. So we scold him, get him out of there, fill the thing back in. Next day, he's in a different box. Next day, he's over by the fence and he's he's dug a hole in like the edge of the yard in the corner of the fence. Scold him, yell at him, tell him no. He knows better. He, you know, you, as soon as you <clears throat> point to him, look at him, he's like, oh, and he slinks off because he knows he's in trouble. And then the like two days later, he's he's excavated another one in a different portion of the fence. It's like. Ugh. Come on, man, you're killing me. <clears throat> so, of course, yes, I, you know, my voice is stressed and I walk outside and here, I just, I had literally just filled in, like reclaimed, filled in the hole, got grass, but I mean, just like literally, here he is out there just starting to test today. He's like, oh, maybe I'll just, hey, yeah, well, <clears throat> I yelled. And that was, I think, the final straw in my voice. Just totally foobarred my <clears throat> vocal cords. <clears throat> Luckily, I sacrificed my vocal cords for, like, nothing. Because Maggie's still going to roll. Jep's still going to dig. But anyway, it is what it is. So it's like 
and I know that I've I've foobarred my vote my vocal cords because like it's been like three days now. Like two two or three days now. Usually it'll bounce back, no problem. But this one hasn't bounced back, so we'll we'll see. <clears throat> it doesn't like I said, it doesn't help coughing all night long, but Anyway, I've got just there's just so much to talk about. Uh, realistically, um, if I get through what I'm doing now, um, the stress we we got just just stuff that's going on now, it may warrant doing excuse me doing multiple podcasts of the week just so I can just parse through all the thoughts that all the just there's just so much coming in <clears throat> that I could talk about that I would like to talk about that people want me to talk about that <clears throat> I think it would be it, it might be beneficial to do more than just one one a week but um <laughs> so all right, so let me let me take a very brief moment because you might hear. I, I hope not because I've I've got a good microphone. It's a directional microphone. I'm in the studio. It's well and in, in, yeah, sound insulated, but I can hear some stuff that's going outside. So <clears throat> if you hear some miscellaneous clunking and blunking and everything else out outside, so like many many small towns, a little rural small towns, um, ours is one that has a feral cat problem. Um, we've got some families that, uh, just feed feral cats. You've got other cat families that want cats, but they just don't care. They just have zero consideration about spaying and neutering their cats. And they just let them run around <clears throat> and breed all over the place. You've got other people that have barn cats or, you know, they've got too many cats and then they decide, well, oh, I know that that lady likes the feral cats and feeds the feral cats. So I'm going to just trap these guys or I'm going to trap this entire litter and I'm just going to come over. And I'm going to dump them over to her place or whatever. Again, they're not spayed or neutered or whatever. And you, you end up with a feral cat problem that period end of discussion. Well, the feral cat problem here in town in Logan is, is gotten pretty, pretty it, it, it ebbs and flows. <clears throat> and there were some problems uh, that that came about. Um, I don't need to go into details. But anyway, fast forward. <clears throat> Kelly and I have, most of our animals are rescue animals. Um, we, we do. We, we, we have a soft place in our heart for, for animals that are, and anything that's innocent that is just going, it's fallen on hard times. And, you know, animals, you know, they are sometimes the victims of just negligent or just treacherous people. And that's, they're, they're just, they're, they're, that's where it is. They're either negligent people, innocently, maybe sometimes innocently negligent, but they're just negligent people. And then there's other people that are just pure trash. They're just, I don't care what color, race, creed. Uh, you know, socioeconomic, I don't care who the freaking hell you are, you're a treacherous piece of shit. Excuse me. <clears throat> and, um, yeah, and sometimes animals uh, end up getting a, caught in the crossfire of that and, and becoming uh, the victim of those treacherous individuals. And so it causes problems for a lot of other people. And, and again, it, it, it just... It, and it is what it is. So we've taken it upon ourselves, Kelly especially, that uh, <clears throat> to the greatest extent possible that we can without bankrupting ourselves, um, we are going to um, try to help 
whenever we start seeing feral cats show up around our house. And so <clears throat> we have all of a sudden there, I don't know what the heck it is, but all of a sudden there has become this flurry where we've got this influx of um, feral and, sla and or slash abandoned cats that uh, are running around, coming by the house. So <clears throat> we, Kelly is in the process of trying to trap a few of them. There's one that's really badly injured. We need to get to, you know, just see if we can't do something with him. And then the other ones, we just make sure that they're spayed and neutered. You know, we'll do, we'll, I mean, if no one wants, if we can adopt them out, we'll adopt them out. If somebody wants them, we'll, we'll, we'll give them a new home. We'll make sure that uh, they don't belong to somebody because that, that has happened. We've had other neighbors, cats that, you know, are out at, you know, indoor outdoor cats that have literally wandered half across the neighbor, you know, half across the town and then to show up at our house. Um, but you know, it's, they're not feral. They, they have a home. They just were wandering. So we'll make sure they get back to whoever's house they belong to and, and you know, do what we can. But if, if they truly have no home, <clears throat> there's many times we'll try to at least rehome them or, 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 adopt them out and if nobody wants them we'll just turn them you know just turn them back loose but we'll just make sure they're spayed and neutered that they at least can't breed and, and continue to, to spread <clears throat> so kelly we've we work with a local vet uh black dog veterinary services Alyssa. she's awesome um she is sympathetic to what's going on and she tries to help. So she works with us as well. So tomorrow she's got time. Alyssa, the vet has time to do a bunch of spay and neuter if, if we need to. So given the fact that we've got a bunch of cats coming in, Kelly's been kind of pre-bait slash feeding some of them. <clears throat> we've got traps set outside of the garage right now. Oops, sorry. We've got some traps set outside of the garage right now. We're going to see if we can't trap them. And then, uh, bring them into the garage here, stage them overnight, and then bring them up to Alyssa tomorrow. Um, I'll run them up in the morning, and then she can do a full vet check, spay, neuter if need be, doctor them up however they need to be, you know, just just kind of get them in inventory, figure out, who, you know, what's going on with them. So while I was sitting here talking, all of a sudden, you know, if anybody's watched an animal in a trap, it was dead silent and then all of a sudden outside the garage I hear just all hell break loose in one of the live traps so <clears throat> sounds like we got a, a cat and a trap out there so I'm guessing Kelly will be out here shortly and um if you hear some activity in the garage that's 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 what it is but no big deal <clears throat> but anyway um so what I was getting at is is I've you know there's so many topics coming in so so fast that it just seems like I, I probably ought to dive into uh, doing more podcasts per week than just one. But uh, right now, man, I'll tell you, it's it's kind of stressful. This this the drought situation sucks. Um, you know, we these so the first few years of of what I'm doing out here on the landscape was just well, the first several years was just letting things. You know, I, I wasn't doing a lot of ma uh, food plot management. I wasn't doing a lot of habitat management. I really wasn't doing a lot of anything. I was just monitoring, um, getting control of access, uh, just uh, evaluating what we had for deer movement, deer activity, turkey movement, turkey activity, that type of stuff. Then started realizing that, uh, you know, we started seeing the um, 
crop rotation changes. So I started to do more of the food plot activity and, and some of the habitat stuff and just to backfill some of the loss of winter wheat on the landscape and the, and the high quality of food that that provides. I've talked about that. I will talk some more about that in the future. <clears throat> so I started doing a hell of a lot more food plots and we started putting a lot of effort into um, basically making sure that our animals on our properties had resources 365 24/7. So that ends up putting in a lot of work. And so we started so the prices of our hunts we we started off very 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 stupidly cheap <clears throat> and then we've built up and now I think we're pretty competitive with what uh, a lot of folks are charging. I still think we're even more competitive uh given the fact that you know for our deer hunts our archery hunt is a full 7 days, uh turkey hunts 3 days. Um a rifle deer hunt, sorry, an archery deer hunt is a full seven days. Our muzzleloader hunts, um, well, we don't do many of those, but our rifle hunts are a full five days, and they're very competitively priced. But even the price that, that we charge, uh, there's a chunk of that that gets split between the landowners and myself, but then there is a a, a portion of that, a sizable portion of that, that is is simply earmarked for habitat. It's, it's earmarked for uh, habitat improvements, food plots, uh, maintenance, you know, th- year-round management. So <clears throat> these past few years, so we went to that, we went from a f- stage of just maintaining what we had and just getting the people issue under control, building the, the clientele and the, the base of people that wanted to come out and hunt. Then we transitioned into, okay, we want to, we want to really we we know what what needs to happen. We know what's going on. We we want to increase and we want to grow, and so we we pushed all in these past number of years. And and really, I I really have um, put a lot of time, effort, money into uh, growing, uh, base, building the the diversity that we have on our properties. That I I truly believe that's why we have the critters that we have on our properties at the numbers and the diversity and the quality that we have is because we we've put in the work. Um, but to see chronic wasting disease, to see predation, to see, and then now to see, um, the drought just, just cut us off at the knees. It just sucks, you know? So here we are, we've built an incredible, uh, program and, you, you fall on hard times and you've got two you've got you you've got two options you can pull back and um, hold reserves for when times are good again and then rock and roll uh, back in the, and and that's not a bad strategy you know <clears throat> basically pull back go in survival mode uh, and wait for, for better times. And then, then you'll have more resources if you hold those resources and stockpile those resources for when you get better times and you can just pour all in and you can actually do more quicker <clears throat> with those resources, you, resources that you've stockpiled. The flip side though, is, is if you stop doing what you're doing and you're, you're in a situation where you have drought or, you know, predation issues, whatever, the hole that you get yourself into can be sizable. 
to where if you stockpile the resources, are you actually getting, you know, are you having the ability to just throw your resources all in the, in the, in the ring again and just come out smoking at, you know, just come out rocking at the other, you know, at the other side of it? Or are those extra resources being used now just to dig yourself out of a deeper hole than had you just sucked it up, spent the time and money and effort to maintain through the hard times to where when you do come out of those hard times and hit the good times, now your critters, now your habitat, now you, you've got a leg up because your, your condition, your overall environmental condition, if you will, is at a higher level. It's not unlike if you look at winter, you know, uh, um, for those that are in the West looking at, you know, winter body condition of elk and deer, uh, versus, uh, or even the Midwest or, you know, anything like that to where, you know, do you let nature take its, you know, take its course? And do you just let the population, you know, if you got a real brutal winter, you got a lot of starvation, you got a lot of all, you know, all sorts of other stuff going on, deep snow, crusted over, uh, brutal temperatures, you, you're, you're going to have some winter mortality. There's one school of thought that says, you know, just let nature take its course. That the deer and elk that are going to perish are going to they're going to perish. Um, but you know, when when you get through it, some of them are going to survive. And those are the good, hardy genetics. Those are the ones that were able. They were the healthiest animals to begin with. They were the animals that knew how to find the best resources on the landscape to give them the greatest amount of body fat going into the winter. So they were actually the the better, you know, the industrious mouse versus the you know lazy mouse or the you know the grasshopper versus the ant type of, of parable. You know, these animals were able to, you know find better habitat, exploit better habitat, uh, move when they need, they, they were just a better functioning critter on the landscape or else they just got flat lucky. <clears throat> and they were able to survive this onslaught of, of hardship where some of the other animals, they, they were sloppy. They were in poor habitats. They were marginal. They had poor health. They were older or whatever. Uh, unlucky or whatever, but you know, we whittled away the chaff. We we just kind of blew away the chaff, and we were left with the good kernels of those critters that will survive and do well. And because they can survive, and when the good times hit, there's less animals on the landscape. They already know how to exploit really good uh, resources, and so they just explode. And those genetics and the, and, the, and that that bloodline, if you will, and that uh, maternal um, uh, mentorship and instruction, if you will, and, and tutelage across that you know, juvenile's lifespan will teach them how to be that industrious mouse, if you will, and, and be better on the landscape in those hard years. <clears throat> so at, 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 that's, that's one argument. And then there's other people that say, no, shit happens. Um, even the best can find themselves knocked to their knees. And so maybe we do go out and supplementally feed, you know, throw some alfalfa out there or some, we, we go out and we deal, you know, we work with, with uh, scientists and we work with uh, feed stores and we, we custom mix a good winter hardy um, pellet that can be used for mule deer and elk and et cetera. And we, we go out there and we do some emergency feeding of our critters to save that population 
to to save a number of animals that were at risk during those hard times. So that way, once they do get out of that winter, we have more animals on the landscape that can they can bounce back, and the animals that are on the landscape have a better body condition to where they can bounce back quicker on the landscape when the when the hard times pass. So you've got more animals that can bounce back, and you have more animals that have better body condition that can bounce back. But in order to intervene, it's going to take a lot of time. It's going to take a lot of money. And, and that's, that is the resource management. Um, that's, that's the intern, that's the battle, man. I mean, if you're, if you're within an agency or maybe you're a, a, a private entity that there it's run by committee, man, you're going to have battles. You're going to have meetings. You're going to have, you name it. It's, it's going to be a struggle and it's going to be a, a democratic process. Well, it, who who knows what process is going to come out and who's going to make the final decision, but it's going to be a battle. <clears throat> At least with that situation, you you can articulate your your pluses and minuses, your goods and bads, and you bounce ideas off of other other people and 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 have other ideas thrown around on the on the on the table to, that you can deal with or or at least assess. When it's just you, you know, it's me. I'm I'm the one making the decisions here. Now I talk to the landowners. I, um. Yeah, I mean, I, I I chat with other people, but other ultimately, it's me. I'm the one making the decision. That's the, that's where we're at now. It's like, okay, <clears throat> I know the money we've spent these past couple of years. I know building. You know, we were we we invested. We we purposefully put funds forward. Um, we were going to try to leverage things to. We were going to not go in the hole, but we were going to spend more money up front to get more money and, and benefit from the wildlife standpoint later. Um, obviously a drought comes in and says, nah, screw you. So now you're at that crossroads. You're at, it's like, okay, do we just, do I, do I continue to do what I'm doing at the level I'm doing? I'm going to continue to do what I'm doing. The question is, do I continue to do it at the level that I was doing it? And, and literally, because I, again, I canceled all of our turkey hunts. So a lot of the money we bring in for our turkey hunts goes to pay for the initial uh, round of uh, habitat stuff that we do for deer. Well, like we've talked about before, <clears throat> we've got the food on the landscape now. But this drought, uh, CRP management, what both both private and federal um i i am not happy with what the federal government did uh these past couple of years with our crp enrollment um and it, it 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 kicked us in the nuts and cut us off at the knees and and we're going to pay for it for a while i think um but then you've got other people that have just allowed their crp to come out of uh, out of out of uh contract and and they're utilizing it for hay and I, I, I can't blame them. Again, this is going to be a topic I, I, I have not forgotten. I know I keep putting it off. I'm going to get into a comprehensive discussion of why we're seeing the changes on the landscape here, at least in northwest Kansas. And I know this is applicable to many other areas because thank you for all of you that have sent the private messages and, and you know the conversations that we've had because um, you guys are seeing the same thing in many of your areas. Some Some things are different. That's fine. Uh, some things are similar and that, and that, and that's important. Um, we just take, all of us are going to have to just 
look at our own areas and realize that for many of us, the problems that we're seeing are just a a cumulative effect of a a million different little paper cuts. Sometimes um, some of you have paper cuts that I don't have and I have paper cuts that you don't have, but all of us have a variety of paper cuts that are just ending up leaving us miserable um, and bleeding. So I'll get into some details on that. But um, regardless, I had mentioned the fact that we have the food, but um, we've lost some of our cover. And, we, and, we, and I don't know if some of that cover is coming back anytime soon. And so now I'm, I'm faced with that decision of do, I, do we continue to move forward in more deer-focused fashion and just let the turkeys do what the turkeys are going to do? Or do I actually just completely flip 180? and go all in on turkey management and then let the deer do what the deer are going to do. Now, there's a lot of overlap between deer management and turkey management. However, there is there is a difference. <clears throat> Excuse me. Sorry about that. Again, I apologize for my voice. There is a difference on a management... Vo- Man, that's kind of funny. I'm going to say difference. Di- difference. Difference. <clears throat> anyway, there's a difference. There we go. Uh, between a management focus on turkey nesting brooding habitat and deer food, um, and, and, and quite honestly, even just deer cover. So <clears throat> for me, I think I've settled on that's what we're going to do is we're, because populations of turkeys can be wildly dynamic uh, given the right conditions, we can affect, we can move the needle easier with turkeys i think then we can move the needle on our deer faced with the chronic wasting disease we have in northwest kansas if you guys are ever contemplating a a hunt in northwest kansas phillips county norton county decatur all anywhere in the north eh, (laughs) yeah Anywhere in the northwest part of the state of Kansas, you've got to understand you're dealing with chronic wasting disease at varying uh, um, prevalence levels, anywhere from 30 to 40% to greater than 50%. Does that mean every deer is infected? No, of course not. We've still got some great deer walking the landscape. I, I just checked, I just pulled, and I am, I'm literally sitting in the studio right now surrounded by a, a train wreck of game cameras. Because I've pulled, like, everything from from deer is, is now in, and I've pulled about half of what I had out for turkey. So it's, I just, I'm surrounded by just a, just a shambles of, of just carcasses of, of game cameras. They're open, battery packs are out, SD cards are out, just, I, they're just, just, it's just strung around. Um, but any, one of them I pulled, I, I went and clicked through, and yeah, sure enough, uh, uh, just a giant, probably a 160, 170 class buck survived from on one of our properties that was didn't have a lot of activity last year. Um, we harvested a really nice mid-150s buck off of there early, like in the first couple of days of rifle season, and then I, I shut down the hunts on that property because we just weren't, I just wasn't seeing the overall... Um, level of, of deer activity in there that I, that made me happy, um, give me a warm fuzzy. But sure enough, on the game camera, after the buck, the target buck was pulled out of there, 
man, this freaking giant rolled in. And we did. And this is, this is, I've talked about this before. The problem with stockpiling and, and maybe in quite, I didn't, this just, just, this just hit me. So prior when, okay. Wow. This is a little rabbit hole. I wasn't expecting to go down, but let's, let's just, let's explore the little tunnel here for, for a minute. So in the absence of chronic wasting disease, um, and I'm just going to flat say it. I understand that some people are like, oh, it's not real or it's scrapey or it's, we, we can have those discussions. Okay. But the honest, but the God's honest truth is that there is a disease that's wiping across whitetails and it is causing a problem. Okay. It, it, it is, it just, it is. I don't, I don't care what you call it. I don't care what you classify it as. I don't care why, where, what, what I don't, I don't give, I don't care. What do we do about it? All right. That's, that's the question. Okay. So when you're looking at, and yes, I have seen multiple animals in late stage chronic waste and disease condition, body condition. I, I mean, Rocky Mountain National Park, anybody that's followed me for a while knows that um, back in the early days of, of row hunting resources and all our elk stuff, I was getting, we were getting elk footage. I think this was back in 2011, uh, if I remember right. It was pretty marked because we rolled into Rocky Mountain National Park and this, they were there were some issues with chronic wasting disease back then even, and there was a, a brief focus and uptick on the um, research focus within the park on CWD in conjunction with the Colorado at the point at the time, Colorado division of wildlife. Um, yeah. In one day we, we, we were driving through getting video footage and here, here's this cow. I mean, she's clearly late stage end of life, you know, emaciated head down drooling standing next to the creek just completely disoriented you could walk up to her and just push her over if you wanted she was she was in bad bad condition we called the park uh officials said hey listen this is what's going on this is what you got over here like oh thanks appreciate you letting us know so we stayed there and you know 15 20 minutes later here comes the park officials and they they roll up and they're like oh sh- you know shit yeah yeah she's she's bad all right thanks for letting us know and uh, we need to go ahead and take care of her, but, uh, we don't want public around and we're like, yeah, we understand. And so we drive off, go a little bit and you know, she, you know, here's the, the dull report of the shotgun, boom, back of the head. You know, they, I don't, I don't think they did the back of the head, probably, you know, spine or neck shot, put her down, load her up, take her back so that they can necropsy her. We literally... They wrap up. Well, actually, no, no joke. I think we left. They were wrapping up, getting her loaded and everything else. We leave. We go back on our way, trying to find some more elk that we can video, and it's not thirty minutes. Like legitimately, it's not thirty minutes. And here's a second one, head down, emaciated, drool just just pouring out of her face. Complete. We call them back. And we're like, "Hey, found another one." And they're like, "What?" I'm like, "Yeah, we we found another one." What what do you, what do you mean? We we just we took care. Of, we're like, "No, no, 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 no." I understand. Just left those guys. I understand. There's a second one. Here it is. So sure enough, here here come the you know just this time it was just a pickup truck. They're like, "What the hell?" Of one guy, and he they pull up. And they're like. You've got to be kidding me. 
I'm like, no, what? It, she's. They're like, no, clearly, yeah, there she is. But that we've never seen, like, we've never found them like this, like back to back to back. I'm like, well, I don't know what to tell you, but here you are. <clears throat> so we've seen elk, late stage CWD, numerous uh, whitetails, late stage CWD. Hell, here uh, in town, just at west of town, I called the game warden twice on uh, a deer that was clearly late, a buck that was clearly late stage. Um, and we've sent in two. Uh, well, I've sent in a bunch of samples, but we've gotten back. Um, well, I actually, we got one back, one buck that was a, a winter kill slash coyote kill. I don't think he was a, a hunter harvest. <clears throat> we got one buck back that was CWD positive. And then the other buck that we got back it came back negative but it was more uh classified as inconclusive because the sample was degraded it was just it the the brain stem had been in in the it's called the obex so you got the the spinal cord meets the base of the brain stem and that 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 little piece of brain stem that enters into the brain and the brain cavity called the obex that's a hot spot for the prions to accumulate and you can definitely tell uh the proteins from the 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 cwd prions in that tissue you can use the um lymph nodes in along the throat um for kansas they want those lymph nodes whenever possible simply and and everybody's like oh no no no, you get a better result with the lymph nodes yes and no the issue is with lymph nodes, they're easier to get. They're easier to find. They're much more hardy. They last longer and they're eat. They're, 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 they're a more, more robust piece of tissue that, that you can handle that will last longer, that the sample is better. Okay. Brain, the, the brainstem, the obex is, is awesome to test because that if you get a fresh obex and it's in a good, uh, if you pull a good sample of the full brainstem, that's money. It's just very fragile material, and it doesn't last long. So the buck that we found, I sent in that brain. You know, there was no lymph tissue to find after the coyotes got done with him. Um, so I sent in what I could from the brainstem and the obex, and it just it was a degraded sample, so it came back negative, but inconclusive i'm gonna i'm gonna hold out hope that he was not cwd positive but man he looked like a really healthy deer i don't know why he died he was a he was one of our he was one of our mature bucks that was here year after year after year and i was we were really looking at looking forward to getting a crack at him this year didn't happen so we were kind of saying okay excellent next year you know and no there it is so anyway, yes, to those people that have, have contacted me, you know, questioning CWD, I am not one of those people that thinks it's bullshit. I, I think it's legit. Um, I, I don't care whether you call it a deer version of scrapey or it's chronic wasting disease, or if you call it man-made or if you call it, I, I don't, it, we, the, all those discussions we can have, but the fact is it is there, it, it is real and there's something going on and it is fatal. So the pre- difference in prevalence um, 
on the landscape is what it is. Um, <clears throat> so not all deer are going to be affected by it. So you can have some older age class giants. Well, here's the thing. And this is the little rabbit hole that I wasn't expecting to go down. In the absence of chronic wasting disease or any other deer diseases, you know, a lot of deer managers will talk about getting yourself to that 50-50, that one-on-one sec, you know, buck-to-doe ratio, sex ratio, or as close as possible, and a very diverse age class of your bucks. And you get to that almost pure natural system that, that nature would, would maybe emulate, it, you know, if it was quote-unquote actually in true balance. But in those situations where you have that high buck population and you have that high older age class buck population, when you throw in the, the face of CWD, now, now let, me, let me take a step back. So on your tradi- traditional chronic, or chronic, in your traditional quality deer management protocol, if you will, and management focus, you're trying to get more a- older age class bucks. You're trying to get a balanced age class structure of your buck population. You're trying to get more bucks on the landscape um, to emulate something more natural. What which means is you have better, you know, more intense rut. You've got bigger bucks running around. You get to see more behavior. This is why those states that have those type of uh, sex ratios and age class structures, that's where you get the the grunting and the rattling and the com, you know, the 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 competition and the bucks just running all over the place and you know that 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 Kansas, Illinois, you know, Iowa Mecca rut fest that everybody you know dreams of. The problem is those situations are ripe for CWD to just just blaze through a population of whitetails because bucks, because of their nature, you know, rubbing on everything, marking everything, tasting everything, licking everything, putting their mucus and and their feet, you know, urine and feces, marking everything and, 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 um, coming into contact with other buck markings and excretions. Chronic wasting disease travels in whitetail bucks much faster through the buck population than it does the doe population. And so you'll see where chronic wasting disease will just wipe out your buck uh, numbers. Well, that leaves, you know, when that happens, you you can lose a hell of a lot, a, a large percentage of your older age class animals. Because again, it takes several years for chronic wasting disease to actually terminate the life of that animal that it's infected. However, in a landscape, and again, it's it's become a buzz, not, it is what it is. It, it's, it's been coined a term, a landscape of fear, so to speak, where you're a landscape where you have a lot of predation. Chronic wasting disease will manifest itself behaviorally in that animal, you know, months to a year or more prior to that animal finally succumbing to the disease itself. So if a, if a, if a deer is just not firing on all cylinders, just cognitively, mentally, reaction time, a predator, coyotes are, uh, for us, coyotes are going to just knock the ever living piss out of them. They're just going to take them down right then and there. And that, and again, if you've listened to me, that was my management, um, philosophy for why we did not do a lot of coyote management out here. Cause I, you know, the state of Kansas has done nothing 
to do anything about chronic wasting disease as far as a mitigation and management type of deal. They've monitored-ish, but they've done nothing to, cur- to do anything to even pretend to curtail it. In my opinion, my opinion is they got their head in, their sa- in the sand and they're literally simply, li- again, this is purely my opinion. It seems as though we have senior leadership in the headshed of Kansas Department of Parks, Wildlife, and Tourism that simply want the state to continue to function, make money in non-resident sales, non-resident deer license sales, based on the reputation that Kansas has had in the past. And they're just riding it out until they can they can retire, because they don't want to make hard decisions on their watch. They just let let me just get through these next couple of years to where I can retire with my full pension, and uh, I whatever happens happens, because clearly in the northwest part of the state, things are not, um, yeah, they're not all sunshine and lollipops, and they damn well know it, and they haven't done a damn thing about it. Um, and we can have a, we can have an absolute conversation, uh, about what I think ought to happen. Um, and if anybody from Car- Kansas Parks and Wildlife wants to come on and have a, a, an honest conversation, I'm, I'm all for it. Absolutely. Hell yeah. Uh, I don't give a shit what, whether I'm stupidly batshit crazy wrong and, and someone wants to come in here and just absolutely eviscerate me and, and drag me through my own feces and just grind me into the mud and and show me I'm an incompetent boob. Okay, fine. Come on. I just want the truth. But you better be willing to answer some questions because I'm going to have some. But anyway, so back to the rabbit hole exploration, exploration of this rabbit hole in the face of chronic wasting disease. Again, you're not going to have all of your deer, your buck population um, affected by it. But you're going to have a much reduced buck population. That leaves re- more resources on the landscape for those individuals that do survive, that that are healthy. So we might, where in the past, some of our fields, I remember a good friend of mine, a couple of friend of mine's came out, friends, friend of mine's, friends of mine came out uh, for the late doe season. Um, that's another thing that I've shut down. We, we are no longer doing our, uh, January doe management season. Uh, we just, the numbers are just aren't here. We, you know, we're going to, we're going to err on the side of caution and shut that down for a couple of years. But in the, in, in the previous years, goodness gracious, we'd have 150 to 175, 170 deer in a, and we're not feeding, we're not running bait piles. We're not doing we just this. They just want, they love this field. It was corn that year. And they piled in like they ever, they, they love the way the river bottom is, the way the terrain is and the way the agriculture positions itself. The bedding area is perfect. The transition between the bedding and the feed is absolutely perfect from a, a defense standpoint so that animals can check, scent check that field before they even ever step out of the river bottom. So, Everybody just piles in there and literally you'd have 150 to 170 deer out in that field and 50% of them were bucks to where in January, my, my friends came out, uh, he, one of them came out with his daughter to get her first deer 
they were literally surrounded. I mean, literally deer are bedding around the ground blind in the middle of the field, in the middle of the afternoon. And it becomes, it was, it was difficult to get a good shot on a mature doe because there were so many button bucks, spikes and young bucks. And I mean, just buck, there were so many bucks that you had to be careful and whittle through and make sure, ah, yes, that's a doe. And can I get a clean shot without having interference with a buck in front of her? Or more importantly, having bucks lined up behind her to where, you know, she's got to be clear before I make a, you know, most people are are doing it with a rifle at that time of the year. So it it was just, it was awesome to see that many bucks piled in on the landscape. But then there we are, you're a CWD, you know, hot zone. Now we don't, we're not going to have that. However, the deer we do have survive are going to have a hell of a lot more resources available to them. To where I'm, I'm excited to see just exactly what ends up happening. Um, like I said, we last year we killed two bucks that were three and a half years old. They were mid one fifties. Now it's not that I want to kill a one fifty buck that's three and a half years old, but the fact that you got a three and a half year old that's a hundred and fifty inches is phenomenal. And if you're if you're sitting there with CWD and you go, well, okay, three years old might be an older age class deer because four and five years old they're gonna they're gonna probably succumb to coyote predation because they're infected. You know, any deer that does survive that four, five, six years of age or older, like the like the eight and a half year old buck that I was after this past year, they're just giants and and that's what i saw on this the game camera i mean he was all i mean he was busted to bits which sucked again that is indicative to dry conditions sometimes when it gets really dry antlers have a tendency to get brittle um a lot of people uh, that i respect down in arizona saw that and have, have, have seen that over year after year dry years versus wet years on elk antlers especially when we're talking about late season hunts. You get into those late November, December type hunts where you're late season elk hunts. Those dry years, so much breakage happens that it's it's difficult to find a bull that even has intact headgear at all, let alone uh, a nice, you know, clean six or something like that. But anyway, so... the hell did I get on? Oh, so we, so I tell you all that to tell you this. With chronic wasting disease on the landscape, and we know that it is, and it's going to cause a pro, it's going to cause challenges on our deer recruitment. Uh, not no 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 not recruitment. It's gonna ha- it's gonna have impacts on our our ability to stockpile older age class animals. That there you go. That that's how the, that's the best way to put it. Um. What I'm going to look at is, okay, then we need to really focus on our, we, how do I want to put this? If I increase my fawning cover, fawning habitat, and I go all in on some coyote management, we can increase the number of deer that make it to a couple weeks, you know, fawns, deer fawns that make it to several weeks of age to where they have a better fighting chance to stand up to predation, which then allows them survivability into the fall and hopefully into the into following years. But you're still dealing with, you know, one or two fawns per doe 
that you're bringing into, you know, you're, you're recruiting into that population versus you go in on turkey, nest cover, brood cover. That type of cover also translates into really good fawning cover. However, one hen turkey bringing off 12 to 14 or more poults, and let's say you get a, a dozen poults that can at least survive a few weeks into, you know, into the, you know, the, the late part of summer, one adult brings in a dozen little ones versus one adult brings in one or two. That's a massive difference in population structure, overall population impact on the landscape. Because our turkey hunts, and many of you know, if you like turkey hunting, you know that you just get, it just gets, you get more and more passionate about turkey hunting. Our turkey hunts are so popular that I could, I could, if I, if we had the birds, I could probably be running turkey hunts every single day. Well, not every, I, I run a three day hunt and then one day off and then another three days. I could be three days on, one day off, three days on, one day off, three days on, one day off from from the opening day all the way to May 31st, done. I the, the the demand for high quality hunt experiences like we do, like where you're sitting up and you're decoying and you're calling and I'm with you, we're calling, I'm teaching you, you're calling, I'm helping you, you know, a good, just an overall fun experience and instructional uh, um, outing. I could I could be running hunts every day of the season almost. So I think we're going to shift gears and we're going to push all in on um, turkey habitat, knowing full well that our deer are going to benefit from that. But we can see a much greater impact uh, in the short term as well as the long term, but especially the short term from focusing on deer and quite honestly, excuse me, as focusing on turkey as well, quite, quite honestly, uh, some pheasants. We're going to, we're expanding, uh, going to expand some of our pheasant stuff that we're going to do this year, but that's the conundrum, man. It just sucks because my philosophy is, uh, like I said in the beginning, there's some people that say, okay, hit the brakes and, and save fuel until the train gets easier. And then, and then you'll be able to, to, to go farther other people are like nope keep the keep the gas just keep your foot on the gas pedal and just keep going and and just power through this uh get through it quicker and and better off problem is with five dollar and twenty dollar five dollar and twenty cent um that's what i'm paying out here 519 for diesel that freaking hurts just dropped up $750 $750 on herbicide that I, it's the herbicide that I that I know that I will utilize this year but it's not even all the herbicide I normally get that's double and triple what I've paid in the past um, luckily I held off on on getting some nitrogen fertilizer looks like nitrogen fertilizer came down by half which is nice that's a that's a benefit but you know last year you know with his drought I was running water to places literally every three days. That's fine. You can run, you can haul water all across the landscape every three days when fuel is 
two bucks a gallon or whatever. I don't, whatever it was, but and it, well, even then it still sucked money, but that's just not practical when you're dealing five, you know, more than five bucks a gallon for fuel. So I gotta, I've gotta be judicious on what I do and, and where I spend that money and, and how I do it. But it's just hard for me, um, my personality to just turn my back on what we've done these past several years, you know, just, just because we have a drought situation. And, um, all I, all I can say is hopefully fingers crossed we get a turnaround you know this we uh, many of you had a bunch of moisture uh this past week or so and I was just looking at the weather channel uh the the drought monitor and and uh the long-term forecast and stuff yeah so for us we we bumped up to extreme drought we're still in an extreme drought we got an inch and a half of rain out of that one storm According to the statistics from uh, NOAA and uh, the Weather Channel, that inch and a half was more, and, and, and across, especially across the region, that one rainstorm brought more moisture to more areas than the last six months. <laughs> <laughs> that's brutal and I can tell you right now that the places where so that rainstorm did fill a bunch of the terraces and there's there's water on the landscape but I'll tell you in the places that's dry yep the deer are just I mean the deer the turkeys bobcats coyotes raccoons goshawks or not got just sorry not got not not goshawks cooper socks um the the amount of wildlife that are pounding those wi- the wildlife water is just it's insane it's insane so i got to i got to come up with a better solution um for running water in some of these places but anyway it's just tough it's just stressful cuz you you look at you know these past couple of years i've i've gotten my protocol my pattern my 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 routine if you will down pretty pat as far as what i'm doing when i'm doing it how i'm doing it and now I find myself days on end just sitting there, just pulling my hair out, going, "Okay, now what? How do how do how do we how do we shift gears? Going a different. I want to end up in the same place, but I have to shift gears, retool, and approach that. I, I have to find a completely new route to get there, and I need to do it." in short order because this has been a windy spring and I was just talking to a buddy of mine that, that does lawns um, just because it's windy you know it's been just a brutal windy spring and it's been up until the storm it's been dry well if you're trying to spray weeds and you're trying to prep stuff and, and try to, to control some of the, the problematic vegetation that, that will overtake your food plots and your habitat stuff you need vegetation growing, actively growing. So you need some soil moisture in there so the plant is active, you know, that weed is actively growing or that grass is actively growing. So it, when you do spray it, it uptakes that herbicide very efficiently and it gets a good kill. And then to, to not waste material and to not cause secondary environmental issues and to follow the, the label on the herbicide, it has to be 
you've got to have somewhat relatively calm winds. You can't have brutal winds because you can't spray in, in, in blustery, gusty, high winds. Well, that's what, and, and it's, and for plant growth, you, you like to have some nice warm, warm temperatures. Well, we've had brutal wind, colder than, you know, colder than normal, maybe temperatures and brutal dry to where the, the plants are not, you know, transpiring, growing as vigorously as you would like for, for herbicide uptake. So whether you're talking about me and, and small me, yeah, there we go. <clears throat> whether you're talking about me and what I'm working on, or whether you're talking about large scale agricultural operations, people, no one's been able to spray. Well, cheatgrass doesn't care. Kosha doesn't care. Hemp doesn't care. It's just going to grow. It's just going to keep growing. And we've gotten to the point now where a couple of them, you know, you saw on Instagram, I, I posted some of those. There's some places where I really, 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 really wanted to get some control of the cheatgrass in some of these places. And that is just plot, probably not going to happen. Just have not been able to spread. It's been it's been dry to where the cheatgrass has responded by going setting seed, setting flower, going to flower early. Meaning, the window in which I had time to spray it has been shortened. I've missed it, and now if I try to go and spray it, it's it's pointless. I'll kill the plant, but it'll still go to seed, and the seed some of the seed will still be viable. Um, I've got several properties where. I need to try to get in there and, and kill some of the weeds just so I can get in there and plant. Um, it's not that the weeds are overly bad now, but it, they're at the stage where if I don't spray them now, this year, they're going to be just, well, they're, they're going to explode. And then for next year, holy freaking hell, it's going to be really ugly. So again, there you go. Do you, do you, do you defer a year? let things turn to shit and then you just have to deal with a bigger pile of shit next year and you know, hope things are better? Or do you just slug through, spend the money and time and effort to minimize the shit this year so you don't have as much shit to deal with next year? Given the fact the way things are politically, given the things, you know, just uh, general nature of what's going on, I, I don't see any long-term uh, optimism to, for anything to turn around with fuel prices, herbicide prices, uh, fertilizer prices. Our, the drought forecast now shows us going into long-term drought all the way into the end of August. So I think it's a, you, you suck it up and you, you spend the money to maintain. You just be smarter about it, but you, but you got to spend the money to maintain. Well, that's kind of hard to justify to spouses and to other people when You've already spent a chunk of change these past couple of years building, you know, with the promise that, oh, it'll be better. I'm going to spend the money now because it's, it's, it's an investment later. Well, yeah, we'll see. So anyway, um, that's what I've been spending these past, these past weeks. on just bracket, I just, every day that's even sem- some semblance of calm tomorrow might be that way to where I, I know it's going to be a late night for me tonight and I'm just going to get up crack in the morning and, and just see if I can get some stuff sprayed um and then Tuesday hopefully will be um that is good and I can just I, I just I just need to get on that sprayer and just knock a bunch of stuff out so I can just turn right around and then 
start getting some stuff planted that will be good pheasant uh, habitat, good uh, brood cover. It's not going to be good nesting cover now because we're too late. Uh, just, we, we just we're behind the power curve on that, unfortunately, but it'll be good for next year. It'll set things up nicely for next year. <clears throat> but, um, yeah, so it's just been trying to scramble and, and just research and talk to, you know, research different stuff, talk to a bunch of people meeting with the landowners, meeting with other clients, just figuring out what they want to do. And, and a lot of them, they're like, oh, yeah, I want to do this and this and that and the other. Okay, I, I know you're watching YouTube. I know you're watching, you know, all these other shows talking about all the great and glorious things that they're doing in Iowa and in Wisconsin and Ohio and everything else. Well, that's not us. Um, we don't have the vegetation. We don't have the moisture. We don't have the – it's just not us. And so trying to manage expectations – um. Yeah, it's been, it's been tough. It's just been stressful. It just sucks. It just sucks. And then I've been really wrestling, and this is the other thing. And I this is just an, another little aside. I don't even have an answer to it, and I don't I don't even have my head wrapped around it. Because we've got people here uh, locally that are still hunting, um, still shooting turkeys, even though, you know. Like you, you go to, I don't know, man. You you go to a, a chunk of river bottom where you can listen for plus or minus a mile, and you'll hear a turkey gobble or two, and you can get over there and you can find them, you can get on them, but you're talking about one or two turkeys for a freaking mile or you're talking one or two turkeys for two or gobblers two or three miles of river bottom or more and a handful of hens and you hear and, it, and some of them are young hunters some of them are not young hunters they're just hunters that just don't care they just they want to fill their tag and you hear him talk about, oh, it's been a tough season. It's been a tough season, but oh, I finally found one. Oh, I, I, I filled. And so there's a kid in town. I, I love him to death. He's a, he's a good kid. He's a, he's a young hunter. Filled his, his one turkey tag early and then went out with his, he was, he stopped by and talked to me. He was going out with his brother-in-law and they wanted to both kill a bird. And I'm like, guys, man, they're like, oh, we found one time with four hens and you know they were all excited and they're like so so you know if 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 that birds with those hands and in you is that a filled tag and i'm like man the educator in me i i want to be happy for you i want to be excited for you i want to tell you to go i i want to i want to help you i want to i want to help you be successful and i want to tell you exactly how to how i would go about going after that time and 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 putting them on the ground but then the flip side is like okay hold on a minute let's revisit what you just said this this kid has got a chunk of of ground that he can hunt a lot of connections and he quote unquote finally found a tom it was one tom four hens this is probably a week ten days ago now we want to go kill him. 
I tell people all the time, I have truthful Tourette's. That, 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 I can't lie. I can't be a criminal. I could never be a criminal if I ever wanted to because I can't lie. The truth is going to come out. That, just, that's just where it is. That's just who I am. I, I, I'm going to wear my truth on my sleeve and it's just going to come out. And so I did my best to, to be cheerful, but I, but I did bring up, I'm like, man, do you really want to go kill that bird? I mean, he's the only bird in that area with, with those hens and I'm not judging, but I, I, I could see in their faces and I could watch it. He just missed it. He's like, Oh yeah, 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 yeah. We, we put a lot of work and we finally found him. We, we think we can get him. I, I, I bet you can. The question is, should you? Should you? Again, remember what I asked about last podcast? And I, and I want to dive into this. Is hunting conservation? Is it? Or is conservation partially paid for by hunting. Those two are not the same. And so, and we can talk about this here in a minute. Um, I'm going to dive into uh, one of the topics I wanted to talk about today. There's a lot of people that that just want to fill a tag and it's just, it's hard, man. It's so freaking hard for me because I'm the guy that wants people to be successful. I'm the guy that wants to help help them get that gripping grin. But at this point, I can't be that guy. I've got to be the guy that says, how about we not shoot him in the face? How about we be a little bit more focused on the long term? Anyway, I don't know. Um, it just it just sucked. It, it was just I don't know. I, I'm watching. I'm watching social media. I'm seeing these people hunting. All now, granted. All, now, let me let me just. Clear, I understand. I I have there there are folks of you that are living across this United States listening to me. Not all areas are created equal. Some of your areas are have great numbers of turkeys. Uh, there's no issue. You've got piles of birds on you, and that's great. Um, the a, a secondary rabbit hole that I'm not going to go down now is whether or not that's you're living in the good old days now and uh, maybe pay attention to what's going on on the rest of the United States and then take note that that might be headed your way. So be judicious on what you kill now and start paying attention to what your habitat is doing now <clears throat> Western Nebraska, <clears throat> some of the Dakota, you know, some of these places where I'm seeing pictures of, oh, we got birds running around everywhere. Okay, that's good for you, man. Awesome. I'm so freaking happy for you. I'm je- at this point, I'm jealous of you. Do not sit there and with your hubris and sit there and say, look how great we are. We still have the birds and you do nothing given the fact that everywhere across the Southeast, the East, or the East, Southeast, and now through the Midwest, you see this wave of Turkey reductions 
pay attention to what's going on around you to make sure that it's just that steamroller isn't headed your way. You might be living fat and high and, and, and just, just loving life now, but the steamroller is headed your way. What, what barricades are you putting in place for your area, for your state to stop that steamroller? That's the question. Because some of us have have been hit by it, and I don't think you know some of us are are just now getting hit by it, haven't even seen the real full ramifications of it. Um, yeah, I it just you, you see social media and and pe- the focus, and, and again, I'll I'll dive into some of this here in a second, but oh, I don't know, it's just it just sucks, it just sucks because I I you know we we keep seeing on social media so many different people beating the drum of hunting is conservation, hunting is conservation, hunting is conservation, hashtag public landowner, hashtag public landowner, how, how great hunting is and how important hunting is and how great we are as hunters. And we are on our moral high horse in this pedestal because we can, we can, we can stand on the, on the pedestal of the North American model of wildlife conservation. And and we can, we can, we can exalt our moral superiority. Meanwhile, We've got people more interested in going state to state to state, shooting their max number of tags allotted, um, and just you know shooting a bird in the face and and maximizing their grip and grin and social media presence um, at the expense of I think in many ways the future. You know, there and there are there there are two different schools of thought. Again, and it goes back to what I was just talking about with our habitat stuff. There are those people that say, "Not nah, screw it, just get get yours where the getting's good. Get it now because you never know if you're going to have it later. So just go ahead and and just get out there, get after it, get those birds because you know what? Next year the perp, the population might crash and you'll never have that opportunity again. Uh, a selfish, um a selfishly oriented uh, worldview on turkey management. Get mine, move on, go to the next state, go to the next state, go to the next state, go to the next, just I'm going to get mine while the getting's good and while I can still do it because it may not happen later. Screw everybody else. Versus those people who are like, you know what? Maybe we should collectively pump the brakes. Maybe we should not get ours. Maybe we'll defer getting ours this year. Maybe we'll try to really work on, you know, getting things set up to where in the future we can stem the tide, you know, we just hold off some of this decline and then we all have a benefit and, and betterment later. I it's, just, it's value sets. I talk about it all the time. Value sets. <clears throat> but one of the, the, so that's anyway, that's part of what's still been going on with me and why I've got stacks of notes of things I want to talk about, but yet I have not talked about them because I've been just out there in the field just trying to get stuff set up for us. Um, I know that's selfish, but it is. It's it's is. I'm, I'm trying to, I'm managing ground for one, two, three, four, five, five. I'm in this region actively doing stuff for five different landowners on about seven thousand. Well, no, more than about seventy-five hundred acres. So, yeah, 
I'm trying to I'm trying to put their interests long term interests um, in the forefront of my thought, and then that's what I'm focusing on. So, um, but other things that keep coming up, and one of the things that you know that this has been a common theme on some of the social media stuff that has come in one private messaging and some of the comments about predator predator control. I think this def, definitely needs to be a longer. Uh, comprehensive conversation because I'm at the point where I don't think our trapping seasons and the current focus on trapping preservation as for you know conserving the trapping heritage um, I don't think we can hang our hat on recreational trapping based off of a fur trade I don't think we can continue. I I don't think. Let me. How do I put this? We are not affecting. Man, I don't know. I don't know how I want to say it. In the past, when there was a good, healthy fur market, the argument was made that we are trapping. We are going out there. We are trapping animals. There's a market for it, so we can sell that, and we can pay for our efforts and we can make a little money and it incentivizes us going out there on the landscape and trapping various predators and mesopredators, you know, whether we're talking muskrats, beavers, opossums, skunks, raccoons, coyotes, fox, uh, bobcats, uh, all of the above. The argument was... Trapping is beneficial on the landscape because we're managing those populations. We're we're, man, we're helping balance those predator populations and those other fur bearer populations so that they are within balance with nature, with the carrying capacity of the landscape. Oh, I got to stand up. Hold on. Um, all of all of the normal sound bites for wildlife conservation. You know, population management, um, balancing, you know, carrying capacity. Uh, we could talk about fur trade, blah, blah, blah. All, all those, all the, all the typical sound bites for the North American model of wildlife conservation. We don't have that anymore. We don't have a fur trade hardly anymore. As far as I know, the the only people that are that are making money on it are they've got private contacts and and it, it doesn't matter. We, I can I, I I will make some phone calls and we'll have a conversation with people who are still heavily involved with the commercial fur trade. But it is not what it used to be. Period. The number of people that are out there recreational trap, recreationally trapping in the fall and the winter has dropped precipitously. I would think we've got to be down now. Probably, what I, I mean, honestly, I'm not. I'm not being uh, hyperbolic. I, what are we single digits from what we used to be as far as the number of people trapping on the landscape these days during fall and, and winter? How many animals are we actually, how many predators, how many mesopredators, how many uh, fur bearers um, are, are we actually taking off the landscape during the typical fur bearer season? Fall, winter, into late winter when the fur is at its peak or its prime. 
again, that was the justification that why we could go and we could trap these critters because we were harvesting the fur. That's why it's fur harvester season, fur bearer uh, licenses. We're not doing that anymore. And so in many areas, our predator populations are going through the roof. They, in my argument, my, my opinion, I can make the argument, they are out of balance with long-term sustainable wildlife population, wildlife conservation. If we want healthy, robust populations of various critters across the landscape, um, I think an argument could be made that they do absolutely need to be managed. I mean, if we're going to talk about managing deer and elk and moose because we don't want deer, elk, and moose to overconsume the resources, the forage resources on the landscape that will then become detrimental to other species, we ought to be able to have an honest conversation about the fact that if we are not managing predator populations so that they do not overconsume their habitat, what is their habitat? And, and in this case, I'm not talking about cover management. I'm not talking about the landscape in which it, what is, what is their resource? What's their limiting factor? In many cases is prey base. This is the argument I made with hunters in our carrying capacity. Our carrying capacity is the critters we actually go out and hunt. It's not the national forest. It's not the public lands that we hunt in. No, we've got plenty of, of ground that we could hunt. And we, and, and we could, I know the organizations want to argue me with that. But bottom line is we, there's a hell of a lot of public land acres out there that don't hold critters for shit. So critters huntable game species in my argument are our hunting hunters carrying that that that's our habitat and we have a com- carrying capacity based on the number the hunting public has a carrying capacity based on the number of critters that are on the landscape that can support those hunters both literally and figuratively i see the same thing with predators and their population limiting factor is the prey base that they that they are relying upon if the prey base if the predators are out of balance of that prey base then it's an unsustain long-term unsustainable situation if if we value hunting as a viable no, not viable. A valuable component of the landscape. I think it is, given the fact that most wildlife agencies are making the bulk of their the lion's share of their money from hunting dollars. I am one of those people that are critical of many state wildlife agencies in the fact that they are not spending enough money to grow critters to legitimately cater to hunters um, then I think they should but that's a different discussion for a different date but anyway my argument with the predator situation right now is we are not 
The vast majority of the public, hunting public, trapping public is not out there in the numbers that they used to be, in the numbers that I think we need. Broad scale, not a, like across the landscape that we need to be to have predator populations and mesopredator populations, raccoons, skunks, opossums being held in check in a healthy balance with regard to the game populations of animals that they're predating upon. There's, I mentioned before about South Dakota. South Dakota enacted that bounty on nest predators. They have a spring nesting or a spring trapping season to benefit nest predators. Now, I got some great feedback from you guys and man, I appreciate it. So always, 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 if you think you have a, a valid comment, send it my way. Just direct message me on Instagram. One of the comments I got back was that they liked the, the fact that the, the program was put in place. However, it's being abused because any roadkill raccoon has his tail cut off and it's sent in and, and they get paid for a roadkill raccoon. Okay, well, that violates the spirit and intent of the program. And, and I agree with that. That's bullshit and that sucks. So maybe something needs to be addressed with people abusing that program. But you cannot tell me, you can't show me a government program that doesn't get abused. I mean, we have, we have hunting. We've got people that are out of state hunters always trying to angle a way to buy a, not a, 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 a resident tag just to save money here in Kansas. We've got special programs where landowners or lessees or that, you know, if you, if you live in uh, one state and you own land in Colorado, you could Colorado. Well, maybe Colorado. If you if you live in one state and then you own land in Kansas, you can get a different style of, of hunting license and you don't have to draw for it. If you lease that ground and you farm it or you ranch it or whatever, you can get a different type of license and you don't have to draw for it. But there's people trying to game the system every freaking step of the way. So yes, I know that the program might be getting abused and that sucks and that's bullshit and I think it needs to be addressed. But let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater and say this, this nest predator, you know, program is bullshit because people are abusing it. Okay. Well, if that's the case, then throw out all hunting because we have licensed hunters that end up killing animals at night illegally. We have licensed hunters that succumb to temptation and shoot an animal from the road. We have licensed hunters that inadvertently shoot more than one animal or more. Let me rephrase that. No, not inadvertently. We have licensed hunters that will go out and shoot multiple deer, turkeys, elk a year and get away with it until they don't get away with it. I mean, programs get abused. So no, I don't like the fact that South Dakota's program is being abused by those people that are just taking roadkill and, and cashing in on it. However, I like the fact that at least someone is trying to think outside the box. Now, obviously, again, I mentioned this last week, there are limitations to what they're doing and, and, and how they're doing it and the success that they're seeing from it. Okay, I understand all of that. But that does not mean that the science is not out there that is fairly clear showing that if you're just going to do just broad scale 
long-term just trapping of predators and, and fur bearers over the typical fur bear season. No. Unless you do a massive landscape scale effort, you're probably not going to move the needle on nest success and brood success of quail, pheasants, turkeys, because most of the time, there's a variety of reasons, but one of those things is most of the time, those seasons end in February, which then gives the predators and the mesopredators predators two to three months of dispersal, immigration, emigration into other places to where they backfill those areas that were trapped to where the population then stabilizes. And then here you are almost right back it, it, with, without a massive landscape scale effort, you are literally right back where you started. It's like you did nothing. That's again, that's why, that's why so many, uh, how many, for how many decades, for how long have, um, ranchers and other people try to eradicate coyotes, try to eradicate prairie dogs. And, uh, yeah. How many coyotes do we have on the landscape these days? Exactly. So I agree with the criticisms of some of the biologists, some of the researchers, some of the, you know, habitat focused guys that say, you know, no, 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 uh, trapping efforts, predator management, that type of stuff is, is largely ineffective. It's, it's better. Your money's better spent on habitat stuff. Okay. Technically, yes, probably so. However, not all areas are created equal. Not everybody has the ability to do broad scale habitat work. Some landscapes like ours, for instance, do not lend themselves to large-scale habitat work and you going in on a five-acre chunk this is what I'm wrestling with right now me going in on a five-acre chunk or a 10-acre chunk or a little bit here and there okay I can I can affect a, a, a one I can affect a probably a handful of turkeys but across 20 miles of the of the 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 North Fork of the Solomon River across 20 miles of the South Fork of the Solomon River, across 20 miles of Bow Creek? No, it, it's going to take a massive, again, it's going to take the same level of a massive landscape shift in value sets and and management focus to focus towards habitat. And habitat, you're talking about taking acres of, of in my country, you're taking acres of productive cattle pasture out of production. You're talking about taking active acres of agriculture out of production. That's a hard sell, man. That's a, that's a hard sell. So you can talk about habitat all you want. I, I gave the exact, you can shit in your one hand and talk habitat in the other. And then at the end of the day, see what, see what, see what you have, see what you've got in your hand. Cause Talking about large scale move, you know, movement of the needle type of, of discussions for habitat, that that's difficult in this area. 
we're going to do I, row hunting resources, and the 7,000, roughly 7,000 acres that I influence, we're going to, we're damn well going to do that, just that. And I've got several landowners that are all in on that. Well, now, now this is, this is awesome. So now the, I've got out of the five that I work with. So hold on. No, no, it's more than that. 75, starting to lose track. It's more than 7,500 acres now. And one, two, three, four, five, six, maybe even seven landowners now. Um, one, two, well, one, two, three, four of them are all in on wildlife. So that's, that's, that's why there is, for me, that's why it's promising. That's why that, cause I know what we're going to do is move the needle. But when we're talking about a landscape regionally, you know, from a statewide standpoint, or even a Northwest part of Kansas, you know, part of discussion, just saying, oh, we need to focus on habitat. That's going to be a hard sell. Unless you're talking about serious dollars, you want to put serious dollars on the landscape to incentivize these landowners to sacrifice their ag ground, to sacrifice their cattle pastures, um, for, for wildlife habitat. Um, however, when we talk about predator management, hold on a minute, as much discussion is that in criticisms there are about, you know, well, predator management doesn't really work, blah, blah, blah. Whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. Traditional season, predator management that that subsequently shuts down gives the predators two to three months to redistribute themselves across the landscape and find themselves a new equilibrium and then especially those other animals that fill in to fill in and then exploit and learn their new home range and and the the areas in and around that the their new territory yeah those can be largely unsuccessful. However, there's enough body of research out there that shows that high intensity, short duration, targeted trapping around the actual nesting season or fawning season absolutely can move the needle on initial survival. In some of our areas, I think we do have some good habitat that would allow for some brood survival. If they just caught a fricking break, it didn't have to deal with the onslaught of bobcats, coons, coyotes, skunks, possums, and everything else out there that wants to eat any little thing. I mean, quite honestly, one of the spots, a couple of the spots that I've got now, the Cooper's Hawks, the, the population of Cooper's Hawks we have out here now is absolutely incredible. I I don't remember a time in the past or, or prior to these past couple of years where I, let me rephrase, let me, let me rephrase what I'm about to say. I remember back in the day when, when I would see a sharp shin hawk or I'd see a Cooper's hawk and be like, Holy law, oh, that was cool because you just never saw them. Now they're everywhere. Like there are nesting pairs everywhere what do cooper's hawks specialize in 
killing small birds and rodents like squirrels and chipmunks and that type of stuff. Small birds, like what do you mean? Oh, I don't know. Like uh, a quail chick, uh, a pheasant chick, uh, a turkey poult. Yeah, I think those would fit the bill just quite nicely. So we've got all sorts of predators. And like I just shared the other day on on social media, on Instagram about the raccoons. I mean, I, I never, I mean, I remember back in the day when you would see a raccoon out during the daytime and people were like, oh, oh, be careful. That That's probably rabbit. It's, it's a, it's probably a rabbit. It's a probably a rabbit coon. You know, be careful. Just shoot it because he's probably rabbit. Now? No, we don't have rabies that bad on the ranch. No, there, there's no rabies like that on the landscape. These are just, there's just so many freaking coons that have like no consequence of their existence that they just have, they don't fear just going out in the middle of broad daylight into a field and just foraging. And they've got food everywhere. I mean, there's just, I remember... It's got to be five years ago now. And this is prior to the holy shit, we've got some raccoons type of revelation. A guy in town that was uh, prior law enforcement uh, agency personnel loved trapping. Pretty damn good trapper. Um, and I'm still to this day grateful. He, he came in and trapped out a bunch of beavers that we had on, on one of the river and he caught a, just a smoker of them. I mean, this thing's a giant. It was 48 pounds or something. Anyway, for out here, that's a, just a massive beaver. I put him up at one property because I was like, yeah, yeah you, you think you, you, you'll get some coons up here. He trapped that one property. If I remember his statement to me, he was like, I've never seen this many coons in one plot, one spot in my entire life. He's like, it's just, it's just incredible because I don't remember how many, you know, dog proof traps he put out. I don't know. 10, 20, I don't know what, but I mean, like it was like every trap, bam, 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 bam. He, he had more coons to deal with than he, he anticipated. And I just joked with him. I'm like, yeah, you tell me, I, I, I know that's why I wanted you to come up here and trap. Well, hell again, that's like what, five years ago. That's like, that's pr- at least five years ago. That's before the holy shit factor of we've got raccoons. I can't even imagine what we would, we would catch today. It, it's just stupid. So we can have the same level of habitat. The same level of carrying capacity of our habitat might not be different at all. Now, I can make the argument that it is, but let's just hypothetically make the argument that our habitat, the carrying capacity of, and the productivity, the productivity capacity of our habitat for nest success and for, for no, no, no. Our landscape might have the exact same productivity for its ability to hold turkey nests and provide for turkey brood cover as it always has. Back in the day when we had our boom years where we had, you know, like on one property, 150 some odd turkeys, other properties, 50 plus turkeys, 10, 15 mature gobblers running around. I mean, back in the good old days, so to speak. Maybe our habitat is a just, it's exactly as it was before. And that habitat has a certain productivity potential with a certain threshold of predation. 
that it can handle. But if we artificially subsidize our predator population with changes in our agriculture regime to where we've doubled, tripled, quadrupled our raccoon population. Let's just focus on raccoons. My argument is you're full of shit if all you want to say is we need to focus on habitat and not focus on the predators. Uh, No, no. Because if our habitat is still as productive as what it used to be, is it still had the same productivity potential as it used to be. And it used to be producing a shit ton of turkeys every year. Then the issue isn't the habitat. The issue is what has changed. The, the change is we're growing more corn on the landscape and we've got a shit ton more raccoons running around and these turkeys can't catch a freaking break. We've got other, I mean, there's other things in play. Yes, there are. But I'm just saying for the people that just sit there and say habitat, 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 habitat. Okay, yes, I see your point. But if you're going to turn a willful blind eye to the fact that we have multiple things from climate change, and I'm not talking about from the conspiracy standpoint, I'm talking about we have much more mild winters that allow raccoons to be active during the winter in, uh, well, more days active during the winter than in the past where they were hunkered down in a den tree in torpor for weeks on end, utilizing that fat reserve, the, the fat reserves that they'd stored up, they're in there sleeping, burning through those fat reserves, decreasing their body condition over the course of the winter because it was a brutal cold and windy and snowy winter and they did not have access to more food. And so they were just more or less on standby living off their fat versus now where we have much milder winters We have more corn on the landscape to where they can be active throughout the winter. They can feed throughout the winter. They can maintain their fat layer much better throughout the winter to where when they give birth in the spring, a female doesn't give birth to two kits. She gives birth to six and they all survive to adulthood. That's a marked difference in your pop, your predator population. And if you're not willing to have an honest conversation about that, you're dishonest at best. You're incompetent at worst. So I think uh, to those that have sent me those, those comments, no, I, I'm, I'm with you. I know the limitations of predator management. I know the limitations of predator management especially when we're talking about the limitations of predator management under the existing fur harvester season structure. I think we need to change it. I don't think, in my opinion, I don't think in, in the face of the public eye we can argue that we're doing anything for fur for, for fur these days. Like what, what, what fur market and who? And quite honestly, given the the lack of people actually using fur in the United States these days, 
how many people can actually make the argument that fur harvesting is a noble cause and, and, a, and a justification for going out there and killing coyotes, bobcats, raccoons, etc. Versus how many could go out there and make the case, listen, we're not going to go out here and we're going to trap these simply because we want to recreate and we want to make money so that we can kill an animal so that we, we can take its hide and we take its fur and we can, we can line the coat jacket of your hood with, with coyote fur or raccoon fur or bobcat fur. Versus how many of us could probably make a more ethical and moral case on saying, listen, we're not going to be out here just recreationally trapping simply because we want to go out and buy fur or we want to, we want to provide us a fur market. We're going to go out there and trap on the landscape and we're going to, we're going to manage fur bearers because they are detrimentally impacting the deer population, coyotes. They're detrimentally impacting the turkey population, coyotes, bobcats, raccoons, skunks, possums, etc. I think there's a more, I think there's a better case to be made from a prop. If we're going to stand on the North American model of wildlife management or where, where we are noble in our cause about hunting because we are taking herbivores, deer, elk, and moose off the landscape so they are in balance with the natural ecosystem and their, and their, their natural environment so they're not overgrazing their blah, 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 blah. You better damn well be able to articulate the same damn freaking thing with predators and the critters they're chewing on. Because we can't do any, uh, unless we have a change in the federal structure on the Migratory Bird Treaty Act and others, we're not going to, we're not going to be, t- great horned owl populations have blown through the freaking, they, they are in more places, in more numbers than they ever have been. And they're actually, in some reports that I've seen, they've actually been, great horned owls have been the single greatest threat to other native owls in you know owls that should be in those habitats long-eared owls short-eared owls and others but do you hear anybody talking about well we're going to change the management status of great horned owls and we're going to start managing great horned owls hell freaking no nope 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 should we hmm if we're an actual wildlife manager, wouldn't that be on the table as, as a discussion, or is or is, is that just that that just that's just that's just not savory right now? So we're not gonna we're not gonna see a change in, in our aerial predators. No way. Not it's not gonna happen. And quite honestly, to be fair, there are to be fair, there are some issues with our uh, populations of of predator or aerial predators, our hawks and and. Some of the other things going on right now anyway with them. So, I mean, it, trust me, I trust me, that would be a very ugly and sticky and complex discussion to have. But my point being is we know that we have areas where great horned owls are in uh, are, are abnormally high on the landscape and they're probably taking an abnormally high level of some of the game species that we would like to see in a better balance. Uh, for no other... Let's let's call let's let's not be let's not beat around the bullshit. Let's call a, a spade a spade because why? Because we want to see them on the landscape. Why? Because we'd like to go out and be able to hunt them. That's why we don't give it. If we didn't give a shit about hunting, 
this is where the animal activists come in with the, with the whole uh, moose or the the wolf, moose, elk, deer whole thing where wolves come in, they decimate the population of ungulates and they drive the ungulates down to a stupidly low level and then the wolves are going to they're going to respond in whatever way that they're going to respond. But what is the argument? If we're talking about the argument, if the argument is that we need hunting on the landscape to keep uh, ungulate populations in check so they're not artific- or, uh, uh, abnormally impacting the, the habitats in, in which they live in, if you can take wolves and accomplish the same damn thing, then we don't need hunting on the landscape. Yeah. As much as you don't like animal activists, uh, you can't argue that logic because that is legitimately the le- that, that is the most pure form of the extension of that logic. If wolves are actually functioning to keep ungulate populations in check, then why do you need hunting on the landscape to keep ungulate populations in check? Don't frick if if you want to do your moral you know, North American model of wildlife conservation, you know, mental gymnastics around that one. Don't, I, I don't want to hear you. I want you to video it because I want to, I want to see these gymnast. I want to, I want to see the tumbling exercise that you go through to tell me that they're not right in their fundamental core statement. If we are hunting on the landscape to keep ungulate populations in check so they don't exceed their carrying capacity on the landscape within the habitats that they live in. If you can put another predator in there on the landscape that does exactly that, then you don't damn well need hunting. We don't have, fine. Let's talk about money if you want to talk about money. But that's where they'll argue, okay, well, we just don't need to pay, the North American model of wildlife conservation is antiquated and we don't need to have hunting pay for it. We just need to find another funding mechanism. Done. Now, where are you? Now, where are you? Is hunting conservation? Or do you just like to go kill stuff? For all sorts of, I think, valid reasons. I I do. Or do you just like to go kill stuff? So you want to make sure there's stuff on the landscape to kill. And so you want to manage the predator's to at least allow you to have some ungulates or some turkeys or some pheasants or some quail or other game species on the landscape so you get to go out and hunt? It's a valid question. To do a Jen Saki and circle back, I think there needs to be an honest discussion about short duration, high-intensity, focused predator management around nesting seasons with a statistic and and this is for 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 my colleagues my 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 professional colleagues i will throw you a bone get your ass out of your freaking seat go to a public meeting go out there and talk to some people how about we set something up in a mechanism by which it is statistically valid it is measurable there are metrics by which you can evaluate success and failure Set it up right. Don't sit there and let bureaucrat. Okay, we can criticize Christy Nome and what what South Dakota did and how they said we can criticize that all you want because it wasn't quote unquote set up right. Fine, point taken. How about show some leadership and step up and do it? But I think we can. 
I think we can. I would love, I would, excuse me, I would love Kansas to run a pilot program. Hell, just do the pilot program in Northwest Kansas and I'll volunteer 100% of all my landowners in on that program. And I'll bet you I could get probably double that as well. I could absolutely, you guys can come in. We can set up a, a research protocol. We can turn this into a master's or a PhD study. We can absolutely come in and say, can we do short duration, high intensity trapping using modern research that we know take that research, implement that magical, mystical thing called adaptive management, where we actually take research and put it on the ground and test it. Can we move the needle? I will bet strong money that we can, without a doubt. That was a longer discussion than I thought of. We're almost about two hours, and I haven't even got to... <laughs> well then then let me let me let me let me I'm gonna I'm gonna carve I'm gonna hit one more. I'm gonna hit one more thing. I'm gonna carve out one oh, hold on. I've got I've got two pages of notes and I've touched on two things. Typical. Alright, so there's one. Okay. Put a big star on that one. That that one's that one needs to be held over for next time. Uh, I'm gonna co- I'm gonna come back. I'm gonna Jen Saki is hunting conservation. We're gonna have a longer conservation of that. We're gonna Jen Saki the decline of turkeys in our area. I'm gonna go through. I I know I keep telling you this. I'm sorry. I let me just get through some of this field stuff. I just we're talking late. It just it just it just. I just haven't had the time to sit down and just focus on sitting in the office for a couple of days straight putting stuff together. I, I've just had too much stuff in the field that is time sensitive that just has to get done. Um, so I've had to, do, I've had to put that off. So I'll do that one. Ooh, advocacy burnout. Some of the sportsman advocacy stuff that I'm seeing is just about, to, I'm, I'm about done uh, as much as I love it. And as much as I, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm about done because seriously, Every little freaking it's it, at this point I'm think at this point in my opinion um, sportsman advocacy is turning into your typical car alarm. No one gives a shit. You hear a car alarm go off and you're like whatever, and you don't even look up. The whole point behind the car alarm is it would go off and people are like oh something's happened in that car, and then you look over and you're like no no there's not, and then you just go back. And so now you hear somebody's car alarm go off. And no one thinks, oh, I wonder if it's getting broken into. Everyone thinks, what the freaking hell? Would you hit your key fob? Do you, 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 you not know? Just turn the thing off. Turn it off. We don't want to hear it. And then when it's going on for minutes at a time, we just were like, can someone just, what What are they in target? Just put, just put something on the loudspeaker and tell somebody to come out there and shut the freaking thing up because I don't want to hear it. No one gives a shit. I think we're fast approaching that in some of the sportsman's advocacy. Um, oh, and then, yeah, the two things I was going to talk about, I didn't even get to. Oh, that's all right. They'll, they'll keep, they'll hold, they'll hold. All right. So let me, let me wrap this up by this one. This was another one that, 
Oh, so I am now. I again, I, I'm I'm critical on a lot of the things that I see these days, and it's just discouraging about a lot of things I see these days. And I'm passionate about. I'll say it. I'll own it. It's my opinions. Okay, I'm passionate about it. I always have been. And I am encouraged by the number of people that I am seeing. People are sharing stuff to me, and I'm seeing uh, organically where, whether it's outfitters, whether it's hunters, whether it's just other sportsmen, just or are. No, I know hunters and sportsmen. Regardless, anyway, you get my point. Where people are talking about, especially with turkey decline, saying, "Man, it's bad. We're not going to hunt," or you know what? It's bad. I'm gonna. I'll, I'll take one bird, and and that's it. Out, other outfitters are shutting down their entire programs, like we did, um, which is encouraging. Granted, we still have neighbors around us that, nope, hell no, are they? Hell no, they're still freaking out there shooting birds in the face. Yay, awesome, thanks for that. <clears throat> but one of the things, and this is a question for you, and, and I want the feedback, I'm honestly, I want the feedback because I don't know. I, I'm, I just, I'm just going to leave you with this thought experiment and just, uh, it's going to be, it's going to be me, uh, ranting my incoherent, probably confusion. And maybe I'm missing the boat. The number of people that are still just absolutely batshit, just over the moon about fanning and, you know, turkey fanning or fanning decoys or turkey reaping or whatever the 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 idea of taking a turkey fan and using it to either run and gun and then get the bird to react and come charging in at the last minute um or whatever but it just okay I've seen lately some very, very good, very, very credible, very, very thoughtful, um, possibly impactful social media pages slash people equating turkey decline or eat, eat, well, eat, one, one, both, 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 equating and conflating this broad scale turkey decline across the United States with fanning and and reaping you know the the turkey reaping or fan, I'm just going to call it fanning techniques and then in their po- you know and when they're when they further discuss it when you really get in there and you hear where their discussion they they end up focusing on the safety issue Okay, and, and or it's a safety issue, and or the the sex appeal of it that you know these people are going out and, and they're going state to state to state and they're just waylaying the hell out of birds because it's a very effective technique. It's it, it can be very effective technique. Well, hold on a minute. Are we really going to say that the popularity of the fanning technique of 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 turkey hunting? is detrimentally impacting turkey populations these days. Now, 
Okay, stop ranting in your headset, at your phone, at your car stereo right now. Yes, I understand. I understand. I've talked about it with elk and other stuff. You increase, okay, state agencies set harvest quotas, and they sell licenses based on a projected level of harvest versus how many people are going to go out there and fail. If you increase harvest on the population, yes, if you listen to folks like Dr. Chamberlain and others, that, that well, Dr. Chamberlain is the one that made it popular about his opinion about if you're taking more than, what do you, what do you say, 10 to 20% of the population you're, you're, of mature gobblers, you could be causing a problem. Okay, so if you're out there on the landscape and you are drastically increasing the success rate of certain hunters, yes, you could be taking more toms than what the state anticipated, and you could be causing a problem with the, you know, maybe, maybe if you believe Dr. Chamberlain, you, you could be disrupting the spring breeding cycle and the hen um, cycling and blah, 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 and maybe decreasing nesting efforts and success of those nesting efforts. But what are we talking about here? We're talking about using a, a real turkey fan and deploying that real turkey fan in a manner that challenges that bird in a place, in a time, in a, in a way that he's not used to. Okay. So talk to me about your if, if, you're, if you're absolutely f- just anti-fanning. What is your thought on Dave Smith decoys? on avian x decoys on the any other ultra realistic high definition turkey decoys do they not move the needle on success if if your answer is anything other than yes you're you're flat you're either naive and you have never experienced it or you're just a flat out liar I was one of those guys that was like, all right, just, it doesn't matter. Yes, they do. There's no, there's no question. Yes, they do. So should ultra high, ultra realistic, high definition decoys be as equal the culprit or is it just fanning? Again, I'm not talking about the safety aspect because right now we're talking about conservation of the species. We're talking about population decline, turkey decline. So is fanning the issue or is it ultra high definition, ultra realistic decoys? And is it really the fanning that, that's the issue or is it like, I don't know, the fact that you can go to any big box store nowadays and you can get a, tur- a box of turkey ammo that you can dump them at 60 plus yards with efficiency. Is the, is is it just fanning, or or can we can we throw something in the lap of of performance of ammunition these days? And and is it just fanning, or or is it the fact that we have so many more turkey hunters out in the woods these days, and 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 the number of turkey hunters increasing across the landscape happened well before fanning ever ever hit the stage. 
Granted, fatting became ex- ex- exceedingly popular and a lot more people want to try to do it. But when, when, we, when we get to the point when we're talking about population decline, increased hunter harvest and increased hunter success, it, is fanning that much, is, is that really a disproportionate method of the overall take each spring in our states? Like if you did a pie chart of what tactic did you use and what techniques did you use and you put all that stuff in there, did you, did you, did you, were you fanning? Did you go spot and stalk and did you aggressively pursue a Tom and approach him using the fan, blah, blah, blah. Okay. That's fanning. Did you use ultra high definition decoys? Did you, you, especially, I mean, how calls these days are even better, but let's skip the calls a minute. Did you use the ultra realistic decoys? Did you use what range, what yardage did you shoot your turkey at? Did you shoot it at, you know, 40 plus yards, blah, blah, blah. I'd love to see that pie chart. I'd love to see exactly what that breaks down into as far as where our overall increased success comes from each year. Because I don't think fanning is going to be that big. It's sexy. You see it all over social media and you see it on YouTube because it is a sexy hunt. It's different. It's new. That's the whole point why the why those content creators are putting that stuff up there is because it's going to capture your eye more than the, the traditional primo style, mossy oak style, sit against a cypress stump and sit there and call them. Call how many hours? Thousands probably at this point, tens of thousands cumulative videos. Truth one through, what is it on? 87 now? I know it's exaggeration. It's got to be what? 20s? 30s? No, 20s. No, 30s. It's got to be what? Truth 30s now? <coughs> I don't even know what the series number is now. Mossy Oak, same thing. Realtree, same thing. How many videos do they show? How many, how many hours? Each video has, I mean, even when I was on Primo's, Back in the day, I mean, it was, I think it was truth 20 something and it was like three and a half hours of just freaking shooting turkeys in the face. Like, I mean, that the, the traditional style turkey hunt is old news. And so if you want to stand out on social media, if you want to attract attention, get followers, get shares, get likes, get, atten- get attention, you're going to have to do something that seems exceptional and over the top and, and, and sexy. Well, of course it's no different than my criticism for a lot of elk videos these days in, in the, the focus on bugling. We can talk about that this, you know, coming up here in a couple months. Cause I've got, I'm going to start rolling into my elk stuff in June. I've got a seminar coming up in, uh, over by Kansas city at Overton archery, uh, here, June, what June 4th is it June 4th? I think it's June 4th. I'm going to kick off, um, yeah, when is it? Yeah, June fourth, Saturday night, seven o'clock, Overton's Archery Center. We're gonna kick off uh, some elk discussions, and then I'm gonna be, start rolling into a bunch of different elk stuff. But it's it's no different. I mean, it, in my opinion, it's no different. It's an aggressive it's an aggressive tactic that it, it, that absolutely has its place in time. But then, by the flip side, is it it absolutely has its limitations as well. And to the point, like, I literally one year took my layout, my goose layout blind. De- I camouflaged that layout blind all just like I would with a goose hunt. 
And I went out in the middle of the fricking pasture, way out in the middle of nowhere where the turkey's like, and I just set my decoy. I literally set up and I just laid in the layout blind. Fricking turkeys just about ran me over. So if I am set up in a blind and I'm using a Dave Smith full strutter with other turkey decoys and I'm out in that, that, that non-traditional area, am I guilty of causing turkey to climb? Again, I'm not, I don't care about safety because safety doesn't have anything to do about turkey population decline. We can have a conversation about safety and tactics about safety. And if we're going to have conversation, uh, conversation about tactics about safety, we're damn well going to have a conversation about ammunition. They can shoot 60 to a hundred yards with serious energy behind it. But is that what you want? Or you just don't like fanning? I don't, I don't get it. I mean, I, I just, is it, the, the, quite honestly, I mean, I mean, and this is the problem with social media because it, it, no, so far I have not heard an artic, articulated argument of why fanning is the problem for uh, overall turkey decline. I, I hear people talk about argue, you know, safety, but then again, there we we have safety issues each year during turkey season that are not even related to fanning. I mean, is it? Honestly, this is an honest question. Is it, and maybe you, maybe it's, maybe you don't even answer it. You just answer it for yourself because maybe it's uncomfortable. But is it truly an intrinsic problem with the technique? Or is it just strictly your personal dislike, dislike of the level of success some people are getting with it? Is it, is it just simply a jealousy issue? That they're just slaying the piss out of turkeys in this manner. And that manner just rubs you the wrong way. And so you don't want to, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, because if if it, if it, if it boils down to, seriously, if it boils down to, well, it's, it's just a, a technique that is incurring too high a level of success and it's causing a problem. Well, then what the freaking hell have we been doing, all of us collectively over these past years? I hope you damn well have never written, I hope you've not read a National Wild Turkey Federation Turkey Call magazine article on how to be more successful during tough years, let alone you better damn well not have written one of those articles. I hope to God, dear God, that you did not go out and watch any of the videos, the Primos, the Realtree, Mossy Oak, you name it, Jury Brothers, uh, Quaker Boy, anybody, all the other people from back in the 80s and late 70s, 80s, 90s, all the way through. I I hope you didn't buy a single one of their, their educational videos, VHS tapes, DVDs that we're talking about how to be better at turkey calling, how to be better at decoys. I hope, I, this is one of the rare moments where I hope you say, I hope you never realized what row hunting resources was about in the turkey module on the website about how to teach people to be more successful in the field each year and, and to be able to fill their tag more efficiently 
Because, like, that's literally what my whole world is about, how to teach hunters to be more efficient in the field and hopefully get more encounters, which will hopefully increase filling their tags. And I damn well better not have heard or see or find that you're traveling state to state to state and you're going out there and you're buying maximum turkey tags because you're a good enough turkey hunter that you fill your tags in in your home state and then that's not good enough for you and you want to go travel outside the state and you want to go shoot two birds in the face in Kansas or you want to go shoot three birds in the face in Nebraska or you want to go shoot how many birds in the face in, 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 in the Dakotas or I want to I want to go and shoot turkeys in the face in, in New Mexico or Arizona or Colorado or or I want to go down to Goulds and I want... what are we talking about here? Is it is it an issue of success? Fanning that one te- that technique that technique is is the bane of all existence. From a population standpoint, from a harvest standpoint. Again, I don't care. We're not talking about safety. The question is, is do we want people to be successful in the field or not? Do you, do you, and this becomes a really ugly discussion when we really sit there and we say, do we have faith in our state agencies to properly set the harvest objectives for the state on our turkey population? Yes or no? Do we have the, 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 because the, the, here's the, here's the risk. Here's the thing. When you set harvest objectives, you always run the risk of a hundred percent harvest objective being met. 100% of the, of hunters go out in the field and actually fill the tag. You, You absolutely run that risk. And if you're a proper biologist and manager, you're looking at each year the success and the harvest and blah, 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 blah. And you're balancing that between that and, and what you're seeing. Hopefully, you're freaking doing some surveys on the landscape to figure out how many birds you actually have on the landscape to allow the hunters to go after in the first place. But that, I digress. You should be looking at the harvest statistics. You should be able. You should be looking at all that type of stuff and, and judging and based on and judging the number of licenses you're going to sell based on what you think the overall sustainability is. If your harvest objective is such and your harvest rate is steady, is it really a technique issue? Again, from a population management standpoint, not a safety standpoint. I don't know. We talk about R3. We talk about people. We want to get people fired up about hunting. We want more hunters on, on the, we, we need more hunters in our camp. So that way we have more political clout and we have more, uh, people socially that are sensitive and favorable, have a favorable view about hunting in the public eye. So that way when, uh, legislatures or, or legislative actions, ballot initiatives, commission meetings or whatever, whatever activism comes our way, we have more people on our side that are, are sensitive to hunting that will vote in favor of hunting and, and preserving hunting. So we want people to have a value for hunting. And one of the ways that people have a value for hunting is they get out there and experience hunting and they have a taste of success and they see the value of of a hunt part of that to get people fired up about it to get people on our side is they actually need to kill something now you can take them on a hike you can take them on a nature hike 
You can take him on a walk in the woods. You can take him to listen for turkeys gobbling. You can take him to listen to elk bugling. You can take him to listen and watch deer on the field feeding. But if you want to turn them into a hunter, part of hunting is killing. Part of hunting is the consumptive use of that animal. Taking that animal and then doing something instructive with it. And well, <laughs> if you're smart, you just, yeah. We can talk about predator management, targeted predator removal in the spring and whether or not there's actually a, a constructive use. That's a good, that, 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 that's an argument. We can have that conversation. Maybe it's not a constructive use. Maybe it's a constructive purpose of taking that animal. But regardless, if you want to get people in hunting, they're going to need to find success. They're going to need to get that positive feedback. You can't just expect people want to go out, spend money, wander around the woods, and not have any, you know, not have any success. We we want do we do we want do we want to have successful turkey hunters on the landscape? Yes or no? Yes or no? I don't know. Which is worse? You know that one technique. Is it ammo? Is it high definition decoys? If we really want to get ugly with it. Is it non-resident hunting? Is it these people that go state to state to state to state to state? If if the state is managing, if the if the state what North American Model Wildlife Conservation, the critter, the wildlife of the state is managed by the people is managed for the people of the state. State agencies sell non-resident tags at a higher rate. Why? Because they can make more money off of it and they can they can fund their agency largely through non-resident tags. But what would be more what's more critical on the harvest of the birds? Reaping or non-resident hunters? And I'm not bashing non-resident hunters. I am a non-resident hunter. I still I hunt in Colorado now. I've hunted Nebraska in the past. I've hunted New Mexico. I've Washington. I I've been all over the place. I've been a non-resident hunter. I am a non-resident hunter. So I value non-resident hunting. But for some of you that that have an issue about overall harvest, you know, and and detriment to the the population, which one is more detrimental? Fanning a technique or the social media craze of going from state to state to state and shooting and one person shooting 10, 15, 20 plus birds a year. I, I'm just asking. I don't know. Which one's worse? Again, safety aside. You just It just bothered me watching some of these people. It clearly... Some of these posts were clearly using the, what do I want to call it? For lack of a better term, the popularity of calling out and slash identifying the turkey decline using that issue as the thing that captured uh, uh, 
so, as you're scrolling through or flipping through social media, you see that you're like, "Ooh, what's this person talking about?" They capture your attention based on something real, and then they conflated or whatever they did. It turned into a discussion about, "Oh yeah, by the way, we need to get rid of fanning." What? Uh, what? What? Keep keep the shit... I don't know. I don't know. It just... I don't know. It just... I don't get it. Fanning is just... It's like the whole lighted knock thing. Man, I mean, there are some people that, that love lighted knocks. There's a bunch of people that don't give a rip about lighted knocks. And then there's people that, holy shit, it is the worst thing that's ever happened to archery hunting ever and will ever, ever happen. Meanwhile, they're using an electronic rangefinder. Don't give it... Don't, but, but, but lighted knocks? Oh, hell no, we can't do that. I don't know. Fanning, yes. Is it risky? Yes, it is. As far as a safety standpoint, yes, it is. It can be down... It, it, you can, the person doing the fanning is the one at risk. So that's the other thing too with me as far as that. Okay, so that you're talking about increase of hunter safety or increased risk on hunter safety, but who's increased risk are you talking about? A lot of times what you're talking about is increased risk on the person actually employing the technique. If we're if we're talking if we're talking true fanning where you're actually you see a decoy, you see a bird, not a decoy. You see a bird out in a field, you go out and you position yourself and you set yourself up and you, you show the fan you get yourself in a position. The dirt bird see the sees the fan in a place that shouldn't be, it shouldn't have another mature gobbler or a gobbler out there or a Jake out there, and the bird comes running in because you were able to close the distance and approach him in a spot and stalk type of manner, using a fan to get that bird to just react to the presence of another perceived rival in a place where it normally shouldn't be. Those are the people that are actually incurring, in my opinion, incurring the large proportion of the risk of getting shot in the face. But you got to have a conversation about the fact that you got people sitting 20 yards behind a Dave Smith full strutter that, I'm sorry, if you don't sit and look at the damn thing and watch it not move... Like a real gobbler would probably take a step or two. These things aren't going to take a step or two. But there's no difference between a, a, a Dave Smith strutter and a real gobbler from a distance. No, they're, I'm sorry. They're freaking awesome. Same thing with the hens. Avian X. The quality of decoys these days is stupid. But we don't talk about that. Those are the people that are, are are likely to get shot in the face. The people that are actually sitting there against the stump, camouflaged, back against a tree, brushed out, whatever, sitting 20, 30 yards from a decoy, and then someone just spotting and stalking and trying to just sluice one. Okay, that's, a diff- that's not fanning. That's just spotting and stalking and trying to just shoot a turkey. Okay? The people that are actually, quote-unquote, doing it right, according to the anti-fanners, are the ones that are higher risk, in my opinion. Am I am I wrong? I don't know. Anyway, that's enough for tonight. Two and a half hours. That's good enough. That that should get you to and from work. <clears throat> my voice is getting tired. 
I'm going to kill it. I've got, like I said, I got two pages here. I wanted to talk about, uh, yeah, our, yeah. I talked, to, I, 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 I talked about a little bit about advocacy burnout, and I want to jump in that a little bit more because there's some stuff that is just like, what the frick hell are we doing? And then that, you know, and then that leads into our sportsmen. Are we actually conservationists in the in this in the stand? Let, let's take a step further. Are sportsmen actually ever proactive? Like seriously. Really? Or are we just reactive? Like we like this discussion. Uh, how how many sportsmen are out there rallying uh together, banding together, petitioning their states to shut down the turkey season because it just it's just not sustainable. You know, for, it, it, we we need demanding, going out there and demanding that their state do something uh for chronic wasting disease. Going out there to demand do, doing you know how, how many sportsmen do we have rallying for conservation? Especially when it comes to something that might be detrimental to their short-term enjoyment, participation, engagement on the landscape. Versus how many people, how many, how many sport, what do we, what do we have these days? You know, there's a million and 20 things that we always react to. It's always a reaction, a reaction, a reaction, a reaction, a rea. It's like I, I want to. I just I want to. I want to explore that because it's just it's just getting frustrating. Because I can make the take case with turkeys, I can make the case with Colorado and wolves. Um, it just it's just sad to sit there and watch the sportsman community of Colorado just sit back and acquiesce and just take it in the frickin' rear end with this wolf issue when you have a ballot initiative process at your fingertips. You have wolves in the state right now. There's not a damn reason why you don't have sportsmen rallying and putting together their own ballot initiative to overturn or at least amend the previous wolf ballot initiative. Come on, people. <clears throat> yeah. Again, another one of the topics. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna dissect what's going on in Northwest Kansas, um, so people have a better understanding of what's going on with their habitats. Again, Northwest Kansas is not going to be uh, ubiquitous across all areas of the United States, but I think there's some lessons that you see here that are translatable into your own area that you see to where, again, we're, we're the turkey populations and maybe even deer populations in some areas, I think we're, we're suffering from a, a death by a million cuts. Um, we might not all share the exact same cut, but we're all getting the same number of cuts. And I think some of these are going to be similar enough to where maybe it's something you take note of and maybe if you have the ability to influence management on the properties that you hunt, you, you own, you lease, you hunt, or whatever, um, maybe we can identify some stuff there. And then uh, I posted two just recently. I posted uh, uh, a reshare, a share, share. I, these were not my videos, not my videos. I just saw them. They were sent to me. I saw them. Uh, they were awesome. So I, re- I reposted them. Um, so they're not my videos. I just valued them. Uh, one was a turkey, a hen cutting talked a little bit about cutting but i want to dive into that a little bit more and then uh the elk one uh another great video clip of a bunch of elk talk and just going nuts 
just great vocalizations. And then the feedback, again, uh, the people that had never heard that and, and, you know, were saying that, you know, oh, I don't hear that in the fall. And But just there's a lot to that little tiny clip that just it just kicked in a lot of discussion. Again, I'm going to start starting in June. I'm going to be starting to kick off a lot more of my elk discussions and elk stuff, elk content and that type of stuff. So it'll be a good segue into that. But uh, anyway, all right, <clears throat> it's time to let my vocal cord. I'm now I'm I'm going to be cash for the next two days, so I'm going to let my my vocal cords relax a little bit. Um, so we'll kill it for there. I want your feedback. I really do. I know I asked. I, I kind of ran it a little bit. I I, I I talked about some things. I asked some questions on some things, but. Um, give me your feedback. I want to know, am I out to lunch? Am I out in left field? Am I just a, a douchebag that just needs to shut the hell up? Or um, is there something there that actually resonates and you got something else that you want to throw on the mix? you got a gas can of fuel you want to dump on this fire? Go for it. <laughs> All right. Well, hope you guys had a good weekend. Happy Monday, everybody, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. See ya.